Welcome to the Wake the F Up podcast with Alex and Jamie, where we talk about living consciously and helping people uncover their essential self so they can stop sleepwalking through life. On this podcast, we're having raw conversations about difficult topics. Our goal is to create a safe space where our guests can talk about real problems and issues and how they decided to wake the F up and become mindfulness experts through their own emotional healing journey. So wake the F up. We are here today with our guest, Kaylin Schlogel. And before I dive in, I just want to quickly give a content warning for today's episode. Today we will be discussing some difficult topics like physical abuse and domestic violence. If this is a trigger for you, you may want to skip this episode and check out some of our other podcast episodes instead. We will also link to some resources for abuse survivors and people who are needing help in this situation in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. So our guest today is Kaylin, a courageous survivor of domestic abuse, and she is a single mom to two beautiful children. Today, she's joining us on Wake the F Up podcast to share her journey, the struggles that came with breaking free from a toxic situation, and the modalities she is using to build a new life for herself and her children. Welcome, Kaylin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So Wednesday was my birthday and Kaylin came in town to celebrate and to do this podcast live. So Kaylin and I are in the same room. Um, So our first time having somebody in the same room for an interview, not just virtual. But um, I wanted to, Kaylin's probably one of the first people I think I listed to wanting to interview. Um, She is my bestie and I've had the privilege to be by her side through her story um, and see her come full circle, really. So um, I know that you listeners have not heard her story, so I'm going to let her do a little, like, brief summary, sum it up for you as to why um, she's here. (laughs) Okay. Um, Let's see. I guess you could say seven years ago. Well, eight years ago, but I was in a seven-year relationship, um, had – Two beautiful children started out like to me and I deal love story. Um, And then, of course, things took a turn or I wouldn't be here. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, just getting out of it and finding myself again and living a happy, fulfilled life. Um, Yeah, I don't know. How much more details? (laughs) Well, it's a tough topic, right? We're talking today about her relationship, which it started off, obviously, you know, your typical love story. But when we did, we do, you know, a little preview before we get on these shows. And so we were talking earlier and you had mentioned that there was a part of you that when you first met your ex, um, kind of had this like red flaggy warning, the warning light went off a little bit like, mm, he's probably not for me. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> so li- the night we met, um, we were all like hanging out by the end of the night. And I don't know exactly what happened, but it was just like the demeanor and the way that he carried himself. I remember thinking like, oh, this guy is not for me. Like I... Yeah don't mesh with that. And I remember like walking away and like completely removing myself from the situation. I was going to sleep for the night. Um, and then like, he like banged on the door. I ended up bringing him home. And I remember like the whole way that I brought him to his house, I would just kept thinking like, 
this guy is such an asshole, like an entitled asshole. I remember like once he got out of my car, I was just like, fuck this dude. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> somehow, for some reason, I completely ignored my gut. And I think that was like the start of me ignoring my gut and intuition throughout the whole relationship um, to where a part like I felt like I stopped like listening to myself and I didn't have that like inner voice, that inner intuition anymore. And if I did, I like questioned if it was even real or like made sense. So we used to joke about that story like, oh, ha, 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 it was so funny. Like, Mm -hmm. and now it's like looking back now that I'm out of it, that was like, that was your sign to like be done. Like Oddly enough, you find that this is a common thread with people who left relationships that were unfulfilling or unhappy, right? Like you can hear people who get divorced, they always say like, on my wedding night, I, right? Like I, I knew then and I just kept going. And so yeah. one of the questions I was thinking about while you were you were talking is, in your life, would you say um, at that time, since I know you're, you're evolving, working on things, were you was it easy for you to kind of do that autopilot potentially like kind of sleepwalk or make decisions that were outside of maybe the true essence of who you were? Like if you got those gut instincts, did you tend to shy away from them in lots of spaces in your life? Yeah. So when, if we like look at the journey of our relationship, um, I was 22 when I met him, I had just turned 23. So I was like very young and I would say like, I was toxic myself. It was like at that time when we were like dating, it was like so fun and like dangerous and um, very much a love bomber. So it was like the ups and the downs. It was just like this high all the time that, you know, you just think like, oh, this is exciting. Like looking mm-hmm. back now, you're like that. What are you doing? Like that is not love. That's not like the kind of relationship you want. But being so young. I like ignored a lot or like thought that that's what I wanted at the time. And then, um, you know, as I grew up, I mean, we had, we started having kids and I, my children truly changed me. Um, Yeah. And I just like, I love them so much. And it's a love that I never knew existed. And so I think, feeling the way that I loved them and like what love actually is to love someone like unconditionally and like selflessly, selfishly, unselfishly, what's the word? (laughs) (laughs) All of the above actually. (laughs) Is like what like made me really kind of like look at it. But at the time when I, you know, like as you grow and, things got progressively worse and progressively worse. You just start to see like, this isn't love. Well, I think we were just talking about this right before is, so when Kayla and I first met each other, God, I don't even know how many years, six years ago now, maybe? Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Six, yeah. Um, she was already with her ex at that time. And we didn't, it took a while for us to probably really open up to each other. But at that time we were just saying how it wasn't, you said in your, in the category of her whole relationship, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. At that time. Sure. Yeah. So it was like, 
it would be spaced out enough or like far apart. And like every single day life would be like a normal loving relationship. Um, and then towards like the end, it that's when it got like the worst. The abuse was the worst. Like the mental abuse was the worst. And that I know that's going to sound so sad because like the physical part was horrendous. Like don't, <laughs> but it was like the everyday for like no reason, just like mental abuse is what really was just like, did it wake me up? Did it start? Okay. So in the beginning of the relationship, you guys start courting, dating, courting, seeing each other. I know. Old <laughs> lady. Old lady. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I said courting, but you start dating and then obviously it gets serious. So yeah. was there like for those listeners who might be in a new relationship that has like kind of the warning signs that someone's got some issues with anger or a temper, mm-hmm. what, what did you notice that was kind of different from other relationships you might've had in terms of like the volatility that was, was there signs of it or did it just kind of happen once yeah. they settled? Yeah. So there, even in the beginning, there was, um, signs of it. Um, one thing like I can specifically remember, like, and I don't even remember what this argument was about, but we like got in a fight. And when I like when I get in an argument, sometimes like I really just like need the space so that I can cool down because like at that time I had like a very quick temper. So like the things I would say, like obviously I didn't mean, but it was just like rapid fire. So I would want to like separate myself to cool down so I can communicate. He had, like, a very big problem with that. And, like, one time, I don't even remember what it was about. I was, like, trying to leave his apartment. I remember, I like, I almost got pushed down the stairs where he wasn't, like, trying to push me down the stairs, but he was trying to keep me from staying. So we were, like, struggling. And then, like, I had made it to my car, and he broke my car door. Like, literally almost ripped it off my car. Like, you couldn't shut it closed. Um, and that was like a big thing that it was like, what, like no one, there's no reason to like get that mad. But I feel like that's probably a common thing, or at least mm-hmm. I've heard about relationships. Of course, it doesn't start off, you know, volatile or yeah. violent. They progressively get worse. And I'm just wondering, like, I guess when, I don't know. I don't like, want to jump too when far did he it. start hitting me instead of other things? Because, I mean, he would, like, I, punch holes in walls or, like, break doors, do all those things, which, you know, obviously, like, should have been a sign. Like, it's going to be you one day. Um, but I just, you know, ignored that. And it was always just like, well, he's just mad and it's not me. Um, well, I guess not so much when he first went towards you, but I guess I'm trying to think. It was okay whenever it was the walls or the doors. hmm when that first moment happened where I was like, this is not okay. Yeah. When you first started to realize, okay, now it's me. Like what do you, do you remember what you were thinking whenever it turned to you? And was that before or after your first baby? So the time that I remember that he not like, cause he had like an argument or something would throw me to the ground or something like that. And then. Do you think a lot of the abuse victim, right? So the victim's, the manipulation, I think, is like a huge theme that happens in this where they almost – so I'm just listening to what you're saying and trying to like put my head in it. And to be honest, like first of all, I think this is very common. Anger in marriages is extremely common. And I think younger that you are, the less tools that you have. Um, you know, my first marriage, I've never talked about this in, in person. 
But my first marriage, um, my husband was literally the kindest person in the planet and a gentle, gentle soul. But if he had alcohol on board and I ever pushed his buttons, he would go postal. Broke his hand, punched a wall, broke a window, threw a table against a wall. So it actually led him throwing a table against a wall. He wasn't drinking at that point, but led me to this point where he was shoving there was a volcano eruption that was would build in this like compartmentalization that I think was going on. And I wouldn't say we didn't have manipulation. Um, but I do think the manipulation piece is that they, if, if they're not healthy enough, they start to point it back at you. Like they push you and you said that you had kind of like needed some space and that was a boundary of yours Mm -hmm. to get back to regulation, to calm down from like this activation state. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you never had space, right? He never gave you, those boundaries are space to calm down, right? Yeah, I've always felt like, and I didn't realize it at the time, but anytime I ever needed anything like for me, like any boundary, anytime I needed like anything for me to like feel okay or like to work through a situation was never given to me. There was, mm-hmm. I never had like a truly safe space to communicate or work through any issues. So truly none of our issues ever got resolved, mm-hmm. um, which... Mm-hmm made things like more toxic, more, yeah, yeah. Cause it's like all this built up anger constantly. Um, and it was always excuses. So, you know, in the beginning it was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. And it would happen so far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, is like very good at love bombing. So it was always like, he's so sorry. You would go on this high, like you're the best thing that's ever happened to him. Your, your heart and soul, like, a high of like gifts and this and that. And he would do, 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 do. And so you would just be like, you would forgive it, you know? Um, And then it got to the point where. When I think this pattern is common, like I think this pattern, okay. So I think there's levels to this, right? So it's, I think that people are very judgmental in this scenario. I I think behind the scenes, probably people who love you, family members from other um, abuse victims I've talked to or their families are like, I don't know why she, they're mad at you for not leaving. Yeah. They're mad at you for not telling the truth. They're mad at you for so many different reasons, which is, mm-hmm. you know, not very supportive, obviously. But I also think like how many marriages don't have this sort of semi-abusive pattern where I think we really need to highlight what you just said, which is like you never had healthy space to work on you or to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you allow that because it's like, safe space. It's like, yeah, that's so interesting. And and was the focus always right back on what he needed? Was there just this deep wounded child within oh. him that needed like so much attention? And when he wasn't getting, he'd create this like, mm, I forget what they call that, like sabot- the saboteur where you're like sabotaging mm-hmm. to like get the direction of the energy back on you. Yeah. And I like truly loved him. So True. I made excuses. Like I knew him like I thought I knew him and like things that you know everyone has their own stuff everyone has gone through stuff so for so long it was always like an excuse an excuse an excuse like I love you like I get it but I like begged him for years to get help before I actually left um it was like the one of the only things that I ever asked for for myself which is crazy because that's not even about me (laughs) um that was like the one thing that I asked. But for. that's so, I mean, and that's the thing is like, there's so many, so many listeners because the one thing we've learned is so, what is the, I forget the fact, isn't it like 
one in four women or three in four women, something like that have been domestically abused in some way. So I know the listeners are going to, that have this experience are going to be like, yeah, that's exactly it because you make excuses for Mm -hmm. them and you love them and you want to, you know, a lot of society too is like the woman should be there to see the man through like, you know, like that's real love is to like support them through that. Well, there, it's so much female shame in it. Like, And look, let me be very clear. Interestingly enough, with the Johnny Depp situation, you see that this goes both ways. Like women abuse men too, so I don't want to be going just to the female. I would say the generality that we hear about or the research that's been done is it tends to be like the male to female. So I would love to hear from listeners comments or some, you know, some feedback on any men who have been through this situation because I think toxicity obviously can go both ways. But it's interesting to think about kind of how it feels to you in the moment. Like you're so confused in it. You're so confused and you don't even really know it's like, cause there's no processing time for this. Is there, is there processing time to be like, what just happened to me is beyond, is is crossing a line for me. Did you feel that in the beginning or more towards when it got really violent? So I felt like even in the beginning, like those little things that i forgave I just like knew like I'm like this is not okay but there was like always apologies right so you want to believe like you believe someone who has genuine intentions that supposedly love you um is sorry like sometimes people hurt you regardless of the degree of it and you want to believe that they're actually sorry and that they're going to learn from their mistakes and like someone you supposedly love you watching them hurt so bad that you would change So I kind of like still knew in the beginning, but like swept it to the side. And then right before I left, I could feel it again. Like it was, that was like the push, but there was a very, I would say a three, two to three years um, where I just didn't believe it. Like I couldn't accept it for what it was. I couldn't see him for like who he actually was. Um, it was just like so hard to accept that that was my reality. Like the person that I chose to like start a life with, have kids with that. I felt like I sacrificed everything for, um, like this is my reality. Um, and so the, the manipulation of the abuse and like the emotional abuse every day, the things that they would tell you, like I said, there was a while, like my intuition, like my gut, I felt like, like didn't exist. Like it stopped talking to me. Um, but I also felt like I became so disassociated and just like shut down that that was like my only way to survive basically. Um, like, so I want you to know something. I'm I'm taking this amazing course right now. I'm like so obsessed with the information I'm getting. So it's a trauma and somatics and somatics is soma means like encased in the body. And like, we look at the mind body connection and in a lot of modalities, but we don't really practice medicine from the sense that the mind and the body are one, one unit, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. effort and afferent learning. So that the information that goes from brain to body and body back to brain is how we process everything in the world. And so when you look at trauma states, which are, you know, there's stages to like being in a state of trauma, which the first one is fawn, right? So fawn is like, you've got to think of your puppy on its back with like rub it in my belly. Like we're going to make everything better. Let me see if I can make myself better to make the situation better or like make everything okay, right? That's your stage one. When that doesn't work, then we go into 
kind of um, fight, right? So we're, we're kind of ready to fight. And if we can't fight, then we want to go to flee. And then we're like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And I got to get out of here in this scenario for you is I got to get out of my body, right? And that's a freeze response, but it's also like disassociated so much, so fast, too soon that I'm out of my body. And so I want the listeners to know, like when you look at this from a traumatic lens and the brain, which is what's happening in your autonomic nervous system. So your nervous system is flying all day long to protect you and anything in our brains can think like physical abuse is actually truly a threat, but sometimes emotional abuse triggers up that same response, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to be not in your body and that is a shutdown mode. And so not leaving, you, you stop learning how to trust your body and your reactions Mm -hmm. and your intuition, your feelings. And so, and then they're also mind fucking you all day long, telling you how terrible you are. And then your self-worth is like shrinking along with this, like everything else in your life is closing in on you. And you're just kind of like folding into yourself and you've got these two babies, right? I'm assuming your focus is like, let me just take care of them and keep them safe. And that's the love you're reciprocating and getting in your world that was like probably Mm -hmm. keeping you alive, I'm assuming. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like, I don't think that it is as, as much shame as I think might come from like, why was I doing that? How did I get there? Like those kind of Mm -hmm. thoughts when you go backwards. I want you to know from a somatics lens and from a traumatic lens, from the brain perspective, like that's actually a full on shutdown. And like, that's a protective measure. Yeah. And, but now like, are you having to process so much, like stepping out of that, you know, that's the harder thing sometimes is like looking back. Yeah. Well, like when I look back now and like where I am, so I can like, I feel like I see it from like an outside view, (laughs) but I can see like where I completely shut down. It was like, fight or flight mode. And it was almost like everything was never good enough, never good enough. I deserve this. I deserve this. And you can actually me like, I did everything. <laughs> I ran myself into a gra- into the ground and I lost my voice, lost like my intuition, like lost everything. And I was a complete shell of a human being. Like I developed anxiety, got put on medication, started having panic attacks. Like my body, even though like my mind disassociated, my body was rejecting everything. I love that. that I, was I want the listeners to hear her say that. That is the most yeah. important thing that I'm learning. So I've been doing cognitive brain therapy, like with my trauma therapist for 10 years, and I still continue to have panic attacks, right? So I still have these like trigger panic attacks. I can't seem to get past the trauma. Yeah. And what I've learned is I've never, I've never tapped back into my body. And so- what you're doing when you're saying like, now you feel what you, you can see what you didn't feel then and what you're feeling now. Like the listeners need to know that like, if you want to work on healing trauma or paying attention to yourself or getting some sort of like gentle, sustainable healing, it is really to like, take some quiet time and be like, what do I feel like in my stomach? What I mean, just simple, like what is my body feel right now? Because that is where sensations start to go back up to the brain. And then we get reconnected with ourselves and it's, crazy, right? Yeah. And yeah. So once like we finally had separated and I had, I was still completely shut down, but I like had cried about a lot. Like I felt like I was finally free to like let things out because I would literally be looked at in situations that made me upset, that made me cry, that made me really hurt. And he would say like, you just feel bad for yourself. You just feel like a victim. And I'm like, who wouldn't feel bad being in this situation? Like, that's like what I would hear. But so it was like, I finally was able to like, and I don't want to say release it, but I 
cried and cried and cried for like a long time. And it's hard having two kids because I have them full time. So it's like, I kept it together for my kids during the week. And I had help from my parents um, before he got to spend time with them. But, and I would just like completely break down. Um, And then I would get myself back together for my kids. And then I would completely break down. And for a long time, like that was just my life. Keep it together, then break down, keep it together, break down. Um, And I kind of, I say like blew up my life right before I turned 30. So I left him (laughs) the week before I turned 30. I ended up quitting like a very toxic job. Um, And I was able to like focus on myself Um, But I was told for like so long, any time that I did anything for me was selfish. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't like leave the house to do things for myself. Um, It was always like, you were gone too long. Why do you have to do this? Why do you have to do that? Blah, blah, blah. Like it was always an issue. So I stopped doing that. So like getting back into the gym was probably one of the most therapeutic things I did. I also like got into therapy. Um, So I did that once a week consistently for like eight months but I went to the gym every day and outside of crying like (laughs) I was just angry and so like Jamie why don't you do yoga (laughs) and she was all peaceful and I was like I am about to throw around these weights and I just wanted to girl yeah I just had to like destroy my I'm doing boxing and I'm gonna nail something right now yeah (laughs) Um, that's funny that you said that because I did train boxing for a little bit yeah um I we were still together at that time but I had so much like rage in me and it was like so nice to just like get it out when I would train (laughs) um but yeah she was like yoga peace love and I'm like (laughs) I want to set something on fire. <laughs> I do think yogis have that, like, they're right. They're right. Everyone needs yoga, but they have to, like, I always tell my yogis, I'm like, you've got to understand this is sometimes a level. We got to level up to yoga. Like, we got to sometimes do hard and fast and get all that. Because when you have scared energy, afraid mm-hmm. energy, that most of that manifests in, in the surface as anger. So if you're a person listening and you have angry responses all the time the deepest wound in within you is very much afraid you're scared 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 and if we can tap into that which is hard you know like then you can peel off the anger once that's peeled off and we're like actually i'm petrified yeah then we're ready for yoga like right so we have to like kind of sift through our emotions because somewhere along the way do you feel like in your in your world growing up did the outside world tell you you had to be someone other than who you are, like shape-shifting who you are. I think this happens to everyone, by the way. Um, was that a pattern of yours, would you say? Or did it just come with like this maybe like lack of feeling good enough? Like I don't even know if that's it. But tell me, was there any connection you've made to your youth where you connect that maybe that's why you, you were able to sit in this for a minute? And like, you know, because your self-worth is something I think we all struggle with. I know for me, big, big, big thing in therapy. Yeah, I haven't been able to process that part yet, honestly. Um, This might not sound like a gift, so it might be crazy when I say this. I feel like I've kind of always had the gift to shapeshift in whatever, like, environment I am in that I – I mean, Jamie has seen it – that I can get along, do what I have to do, and, like, I'm a different person in different environments – 
And I don't know where that stemmed from. Um, I feel like I have a very like good supportive family who like loves me for who I am. So I don't like, I don't know what has caused me to be that way, honestly. like. <laughs> well, I would say Jamie, like Jamie, you said, maybe you want to talk about when you were in school, like you had a really hard time in school making friends. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be your parents, like, right? It can just be an experience that taught you like, hey, I'm not going to be enough if I don't do A, B, and C, right? Like I feel like, Jamie, didn't you feel like that in high school, grade school? Like you I just had a friends? really rough time with girls. Girls were just so mean in school. <laughs> So yeah, I never felt like I really belonged um, to any friend group. And I think when you're growing up, there's always the friend groups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I This is going to sound the popular so cheesy. Girl, I yeah. I, I, had, <laughs> I had friends. Um, I had like really great friends. I played sports all my life. I feel like I was always like a very high achiever. I am very athletically inclined. So I was, I always like did very well. I was like the star. I did student council. I did competitive cheerleading. I made good grades and I didn't have to try. Like I don't. (laughs) Not a pinpoint then, huh? Yeah. So even more like maybe this, this is obvious that it can happen to anyone, right? These patterns and the manipulation is an abuse in this way is very, very, it's very toxic. Right. And you start to not know what's upside down and right side up. I feel like. Something I wanted to go back on is, um, Kaylin, you said, you know, whenever you when you turn 30 is when you blew mm-hmm. up your life. And that was when you finally left. Mm-hmm. Um, and something we talked about in our previous episode with Harmony is the power of your voice. And like, once it gets out there, how it is, how you step away. And so I don't want to answer this question for you, but I was thinking as your friend being there through a lot of this, mm-hmm. um, I know I can still remember the first time you told me when he hit you. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time you told someone outside of yourself and then between that time and then when you finally left, where do you feel like the power, like when you took back your power to leave? I really don't even remember the first time I told someone. Interesting. Like even thinking about it, I don't, I have no idea. That's and I don't even remember like our conversation of me telling you. Yeah, well, I remember every time I'd ask you questions, you would always be like, I don't know, I don't know. And I was like, how does she not know these things? <laughs> but I know that you would like, you'd black out. And Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the that's the thing we just talked about, right? It's just, just yeah. disassociating with herself. And so mm-hmm. listeners who have friends, you're worried about them. You know, this is a really important thing. When you're looking at trauma lens, you have to understand that like, she's not in her head and her body anymore. Mm-hmm. She, that's how she's protecting herself. Like she's yeah. in a shutdown frozen mode. And so- friends out there and family who wants to be judgmental. Like the the big reason that I was hopeful for the story is to show the bravery and the strength within this day um, because it's actually quite toxic and abusive and they're struggling and suffering a lot in that scenario. And then the bravery to get out takes a decent amount of energy and effort, which is, you didn't have it. Like, how tired were you? Were you so freaking exhausted? (laughs) Look, Jamie's face, because she just knows. I was exhausted. And I know that like, I probably communicated to him and to a lot of people. I was so empty and I kept giving and there was like giving and giving and giving and I was empty and drained. And it's like, how am I not getting anything back? And I think that was, so as my kids got older and I don't want this at all to sound sexist, my son's the oldest. Then I had a daughter, the older my daughter got, the more that she saw 
I was like literally over my dead body. Will she think that this is acceptable? Like, of course you don't want your son to like grow up and like think it's okay. But so I did everything I could. Luckily we worked like opposite schedules. So there wasn't a lot of time. I think that's another reason why I stayed so long because there wasn't a lot of actually home family time that we spent outside of weekends or like two days at a time because we were on opposite schedules. So. So your kids didn't really witness a lot of the stuff that was going on is what you're saying. Yeah. And I got a lot of breaks because he like me and the kids were on a day schedule. He was on a night schedule and it, that kept it going a lot Mm -hmm. longer. Um, But exhaustion, like I've never felt outside of when I started to heal. Um, Jamie like would tell me about vitamins and do this and that. And I literally like, I, and I love her to death and I got, I took them, but in you're like the vitamins aren't making <laughs> Jamie. I was just exhausted beyond belief. Um, and so again, the irritation that came with the exhaustion and like looking at my kids and was like, this is not the mom that they deserve. Like this isn't the environment they deserve this isn't like they didn't ask to be here and they're truly like the loves of my life so like no matter how much I thought that I loved him it would never compare to how much I love them so it was like never like I can't do this to them because like all I kept thinking about like in my head was like what if this gets worse like what if they find me dead one time like it like anything like your mind runs wild when you think about your children and that was a lot and I just kept thinking and I even told him like how would you feel if somebody was doing this to our daughter like take a step back and just think about that like do you ever get on a logical level with him like could you no (laughs) I was wondering (laughs) even now no um (laughs) yeah so there's that. <laughs> so I guess because I know the night that I, I I say the night that you finally like I don't want to make it, it sounds negative you finally but um the night that you that changed it all when I pressed charges yeah when you actually pressed the charges mm-hmm. so it's like a almost like a blessing in disguise because I wonder if you would have like if you needed that blow up moment I knew it was gonna happen. So that wasn't even the worst. Like you knew it was going to happen that night or you knew there was going to be a blow up moment. I knew that he was going to hit me again and that I was done and that there was going to be charges pressed. So the abuse had gotten so bad. And I remember we like went grocery shopping one day. I had like bad anxiety in the store. I was like apologizing, of course, at the end, um, like leaving in the truck, like, bash my head into the window, like blaming me for like uncontrollable things. And it was just like being a miserable person. And I remember like, I don't swear on my kids' life. Like that's not something I take seriously. And I remember looking at him and just saying, I swear on our kids. The next time you touch me, you're going to go to jail. Like I've had enough. You will go to jail. Um, And so the night that I pressed charges, he had, um, like backhanded me across the face. And again, this time we were like in the truck. So he had like 
bashed my head into the window. Like I had hit my head like in the, um, whatever that's, where those things are? Yeah, the dashboard. And at that point, like after that, I blocked, like I blacked out. Like I don't remember anything else from the rest of the night outside of like calling the police and being on the phone with the lady. Um, and he had like broke down two doors to get to me by the time like the police got there. But I like had knew before that night that he knew it was going to happen again and that I was done. Like I was done protecting him because for years, like I didn't talk about it with everyone. I didn't, I never pressed charges. Like even when it was the worst of the worst. And I, so the the event where you um, pressed charges, you said was not, was not the height of the abuse per se. Um, everyday abuse. Yes. Like I couldn't like live like that anymore, but like the worst time that he's hit me, no. Can you pinpoint like what it was that broke inside of you that could take no more? Was there like a moment or was it just a collective oh, yeah. series yeah. of moments? It was a series of moments. And again, like around my birthday, like turning 30, I really like started reflecting mm-hmm. on my life. And I knew that I had, so I had gotten a restraining order against him a year before that. I bought the house that we were living in. I left, packed me and the kids, went to my parents' house, got the restraining order. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You need help. Go get it. And of course, like manipulation, like I'm going to change, I'm going to change, I'm going to change. I went back home. So that whole year, I was just like, I was already done, but I stayed a whole nother year um, where all I asked for was go to therapy. And it was just excuse after excuse. And that honestly was like the worst year of my life. Um, and then I was turning, I was about to turn 30. And again, like looking at my kids and thinking about the life that I'm giving them, I was already doing it on my own. Like I was doing everything on my own. Um, I just had to deal with someone who was so unhappy, so abusive. Like it was like, Oh, why wouldn't you leave? Because your life is going to get better. Um, and I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore because I lost the person that I was. And every now and then, like, I would see a glimpse of her, like this happy go lucky person that like, wasn't burdened by all of this. And like the irritability that I had just like with all the stress and dealing like with the kids and like, they didn't deserve that. And I knew like the happy, fun mom that I could be outside of like having to deal with that. And so it was just like thinking about all that, like you're turning 30, like you, not to say that I was playing games, but it was just like, what are you doing? Like, it's it's time to grow up. Like you are in control of your life. He's not gonna stop. So if you want it to stop, Like you have to make the decision to do it. You have to remove yourself. He's never going to see you for who you are. He's never going to value you. He's never going to stop hitting you. He's never going to respect the fact that you don't want to be called this and that, or like you need space when y'all fight or like, he's never going to, he's never going to see it. So like, I'm the only person that can make this change. And so it was like talking to myself that way. And like, at that point I was like praying a lot. And yeah, I, that's good. Yeah, I just was done. Like in that moment when I told him, like the next time you put your hands on me, 
So in that year, when you're <clears throat> chewing out the idea that you know you're going to leave and you're kind mm -hmm. of just building the courage for that, mm -hmm. can you maybe talk to someone who might be in that very same station listening? What does that look like? Like, how did you build, how do you build courage? How do you build self-love? How do you, how do you self-validate maybe to say like, I know I have to leave. Can you maybe like give me a little glimmer on what that might look like? Yeah. Or um, someone that might be listening that needs that? I wouldn't say that I had self-love at that time or like even self-confidence, <laughs> honestly, looking back. So when we started like looking for houses and I knew I was buying the house, I like made sure that I could do it on my own um, without him buying the house because I didn't know if we were going to work out. I didn't know if he was ever going to change. And I had started, I guess, preparing for what that would look like. Um... And then we shared, like, we shared a bank account. We did this. So uh, it was, I slowly, That's like, meticulous. opened my own account, started putting money in it. Um, I waited till I made a little bit more money at my job. Like, doing small things like that, um, I stopped, like, begging and crying and, like, asking for help with things. Because I guess you can say when you talk about, like, confidence – I guess I, in my head and in my life, I removed him as much as I possibly could while he was still there. Um, Got it. So it was like just small things. Like I would just like do everything I had to do. If he did whatever he did, that was on him. But there was no like more conversations of like begging him to help or act right or do this or be there. It was just like, starting to live my life on my own while he was still there. I feel like that's a big key because I know one of the things we were talking about earlier before we started was the steps that people to actually leave, like that whole process and when others are judging you. And so people are like, well, why didn't she just leave? Like, why didn't you just pack up the bags and go? And it's like, it's not like that. If we're really looking at someone's life, all the little pieces that are involved in the life, especially when there's children's, pieces yeah, and yeah, their schedule sure. mm -hmm. so it really it makes sense honestly I know that sounds terrible like someone it would take a year of like meticulous planning like mm -hmm. you that's like a strategy yeah well is and like the first time I got the restraining when I went to my parents house he had like locked me out of our account <laughs> and so like I nothing which thankfully I have like some of the best parents in the world so I know that they would have helped me but like having to at that point they really didn't know like how bad it was and so I wasn't ready to like come clean or like ask for that level of help um so I knew exactly like who he would be when I left him because I had like a tiny glimpse of that so like yeah that whole year kind of just of planning and like still like hoping like one day maybe he'll like wake up and change but if not I have my plan like you're yeah but safe. like knowing he wouldn't. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Well, that's like trusting the deeper you. The deeper you knew, he would never wasn't capable. But all people are, you know, subject to potential for change. You know, even even your ex, right? Like, obviously, there's some deep woundedness happening there. But I think this story is more about you and 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 kind of your survivorship within it. And I think it's really really brave. It's really scary and it's really hard. And you're exhausted. And so, like, you leave in the peak of fight or flight and freeze and, and your trauma for years and years and years with two small children. And, mm -hmm. and then, right, like the vulnerability 
is is opposite of the hiding that you've had to do to protect yourself and your family, trying to hold it all together, thinking, hope, still hopeful that maybe we could turn this around or get some help or get, mm-hmm. you know, get some resolve within the abuse. But it's really, it's really brave. Yeah. What would- and I think the judgment needs to be clarified for people listening. Like if yeah. you know someone and you're judging them, like that's not a helpful space. Like what was, what was, what, do, what was helpful to you? Cause I know Jamie was there for you and Darren, her husband a lot. But I guess, yeah. Like what would you tell people who are witnessing their friends go through this? Are their daughter, are their, you know, family member? I mean, I think you could touch on like what you did, but a lot of, so when I was in it, just like having someone that would be there, like kind of to vent, but like not push. And like, I know we've mentioned this before, but Darren and Jamie were always like the positive people that like kept me centered. And like, you're like, well, what kept kept you like self-love or self-confident? It was like, they were always that like little push that like, you are smart, you are capable you can handle this. Like, I can't even tell you how many times Jamie called me like superwoman or super mom. Um, just like you deserve the world and like, not necessarily like ever attacking anyone or like saying like, what the fuck are you doing? Like wake the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) But just like reminding me. And it was just like that genuine love where it was like, just enough push, but not enough to where I completely had to hide from them. Do you think that the abuse gets sustained because the manipulation is so heavy? And obviously we talked about the trauma freezing and all the responses that you have to deal with, but because you've, you start to believe the voice in your head becomes the voice of the abuser. Is it, do you, did you used to hear his voice as though it was your own voice in terms of your self-worth? I wouldn't even hear my voice anymore, but I would just like play over and over and over in my head, like the things he would say over and over and over. Um, And so it was like any time that I would, I don't want to say want to do something or like try and take on something new or like even when I would do like one thing for myself so that I would feel like a normal human being. I would just like hear all the bad things that he would say, like about me being selfish and this and that. I'm like, I do nothing for myself, (laughs) like nothing. Um, So yeah, it's a lot like the manipulation. And I had, thankfully, I had like such a strong support system, whether I was using them at the time or not. Like I, that was always like in the back of my head. And so I think that's really powerful. What you're saying is that, friends who are loving you and reminding you of your worth and telling you how much you mean to them and how worthy you are, whether or not you are ready to make your step out, which us as support system people would be like, she's not listening to me. Why can't she fucking listen? You were listening. You were listening and you were formulating the courage and the plan to sustainably leave this person and and change your life. And that's really powerful. A lot of times when you're the friend, you have to just remember it's not about you. And I know, yeah. and I was lucky enough to have Darren and Darren and Kaylin, had, they have a great relationship as well. And he see, you know, I think he sees her a lot as a sister. And it's, so it was nice that I had him where we could talk about things where I'd be like, 
she's driving me crazy. I just got to get her out of this. But then at the same time, we both know like, okay, we have to be here because we, we know how ugly it can get. And we also know that if he's a master manipulator, he can manipulate us out of the picture. Easy. And I remember we'd almost, I think I probably pushed your buttons a lot when you moved to the North Shore. Yeah. Because I was so scared that he was manipulating her distance, like not emotionally, but distance. He was taking her away. And I was like, this is like in my head, it was him, him starting a plot of pulling her away from more people. And so I was like, no, I can't like, that was like the one part I remember really like having to stop myself because I was so scared at that point. Mm -hmm. But I knew that if I had pushed too far or pushed too much that I would lose her forever. And I didn't want that to happen. And so it was like having to fight your instincts and just like sit back. Cause then I think even after all that, I think we still would go and do like a birthday dinner or something Mm -hmm. with like birthday dinner. Um, yeah. Well, you want to show up and try to be a normal friend, yeah. right? Well, I would say this, you know, it's so cool, like, to hear your story and especially to, this is a, this is a story about survivorship and let me be clear about that. We're not talking about um, a victim. She's not a victim anymore. She's a survivor. And anyone who's in that space, I feel like maybe being victimized, but you are not a victim. Like, And what we've heard here is a story of friendship and deep love. And that love is what pulls you through your darkest hour. And I think that is so freaking powerful it makes me get choked up um but i think even more than that what we have to learn and love both friendship and and romantic relationships is that we can only be in control of ourselves right and like true love is standing by holding space and encouraging people to to be the best version of themselves via you know giving them coping strategies and tools and i think you tried to do that for your ex and the thing is, is when someone can't hear you and isn't ready to walk that next step or take any sort of turn towards healing, you have to know when you have to take yourself out of the scenario. And I think we can talk about physical violence or we can talk about mental abuse or we can talk about friendships that are toxic. Toxicity in relationships is what this episode is about. And love is the healer, right? And that starts with the self. And I think it's really amazing what you've been able to accomplish and maybe you want to talk about how does it feel in your body i love somatic energy like what you're back in your body and your life and you're free and you're taking care of yourself and your children and i I just i'd love to hear where she is now is amazing i'm saying this as your friend for people who are the (laughs) friends is like you also once they make that step you also have to like it's almost i learned so much being here through everything with Kaylin, it's definitely made me a better person and better friend for other people and whatnot, but I'm going to cry. Part of it is to like, seeing her like, you know, get out of it. And you're just like, I'm in the background, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like cheering her on. (laughs) But then also like how she said, like the weekends where she would just cry, like as much as I loved her. And I was like, I'm here for you. Why don't you want me to like be here for you? She didn't want me and that's fine. And I think that when you love someone, you have to like be okay with that because I know that we went through, we've been through our ups and downs and I say ups and downs, our love, I don't think has never changed for each other, but I've, our, the space that we've given, like I'll well, go. The space that you gave her, she yeah. needed, right? She just for- said that she never had space for someone to respect her boundary that she needed. And like, I mean, you know that my sister and I, one of my sisters, I have lots of sisters, but had a falling out. And I got into a space where I literally couldn't 
could not survive if I did not step out of our, our relationship, which was getting very toxic. And I, you know, we're still not in recovery of that relationship, but I would say that like, when people need space, that is love. When you give them that space, that is love because she needed to feel and heal and get back in yeah. herself. So and it, that is, you can't be in relationship when you need to do that. And no, and it's hard. Like as a the friend given the space, I know so many times I was like, I wonder what she's doing. Does she not love me anymore? <laughs> like, because right. those are like the crazy thoughts and the crazy talk in my head. But it's so important because now I see like how you're saying her body's response, like. I think, I mean, I don't know what you were doing all those times that we didn't talk, but I was, I like to picture, or think that she wasn't having trouble with other best friends. That she <laughs> but, but you see, Jamie, this is more about your, your need to be needed, which we, that's what we do as friends, right? So like when someone is stressed out because a friendship is taking a distance, it usually is like, oh shit, am I, they don't love me anymore, right? And we all have that natural response of needing to be needed. And especially mm-hmm. with as much as you have invested in each other, it's so... Right. I like I think you awesome. is it your body I mean I was assuming that you were just at home like your body was actually like finally not in fight or flight and like you were just like a zombie I was the most exhausted I've ever felt in my life and I'm gonna have to give my mom a shout out yeah <laughs> um, about your mom but I was I got off the anxiety medicine um I've never liked something having control over my emotions. Um, I think also a part of me pulling back into myself was I had someone for so long manipulating every decision, making me question everything. And I wanted to know that every decision that I was making, whether it was right or wrong, was me so that I could learn to talk to myself again. So I love like I love everyone. Well, that surrounded me and wanted to give me advice and this and that. But I wanted to know that like I could speak to myself again. I could like learn myself again, what I wanted. It was me. And I made those decisions. I made those mistakes. I could own up to it. I can grow. I could do this and that. And like I was in control. So I got off the anxiety medicine that put me, I think that, and then actually healing put me in such a exhausted state um, that I literally just slept all the time. If I, I would wake up, I would go to the gym, I would go to sleep, pick up my kids and I was exhausted and then go to bed again. And I would like repeat. And that was my life for a few months, probably two to three months. Jamie and I did not speak a lot during those months. Um, she knows now we've had like a conversation about it. (laughs) She knows now what was happening and I push like a lot of people out. Um, no, that's protective measure though. It's so amazing. My mom though is literally my best friend and my biggest blessing in life because when I needed her, when I need her, cause I still do. <laughs> she always showed up, no questions asked. She didn't push. She didn't make me talk about things when I wasn't ready. And she, I don't even think that she realizes that like, I would not be in this place of like healing if it wasn't for her like love and support. Like I didn't work for like four or five months. And they, my parents like helped supported me, but. I literally slept, 
went to the gym, went to therapy and took care of my kids. And that was all I had energy for. And I barely had energy for that. And if it wasn't for, and I know like, there's not a lot of people that have that. I would have never been able to be at such a peaceful, loving place that I feel now if it wasn't for that. And if it wasn't for my mom, like still now she is like the rock of my life. Like truly the best friend that I'll ever have. And I can call her like screaming and cursing and I love the F word and she hates it. And I will just be like cursing up a storm. And she just somehow knows like not when to push, but like when to ask questions and then when don't, well, and not to, she like lets me vent and then she helps me be centered again. And um, don't you believe that you are the same kind of mother, right? I hope, (laughs) I hope I could only. Sounds very clear from your story that you (laughs) are. A lot to do with my healing too and the way that I feel because even through all of that, I didn't realize still how heavy of a weight that I had on my chest. And um, so I pressed charges um, and I went to court and I watched him plead guilty, watched him get fingerprinted, do all that. Um, That was like a, that was probably the last time that I had a panic attack and a breakdown. Um, Had a panic attack in the courtroom and I left early that was like a very hard week for me, but I doing that allowed me to be able to feel again. And the weight that was off of my chest, I don't know if it was like the validation that it was real or that it happened. Like after I processed the weight that I literally don't feel on my chest or my shoulders anymore, I pray that people that have been in my situation feel the peace that I feel now, I wish that people could feel. And I can't pinpoint like anything else outside of that like one moment that pushed like my healing more to, I don't wanna say towards the end because like true healing never ends, but like to where I'm at right now. Um, And it was just like, I feel like so thankful all the time, like so peaceful. So like I look at my children and I adore them. I run around crazy and I do things for them. And it's just like, I'm so peaceful and happy. Like this is the mom I always wanted to be and like loving and present more than ever before, because I feel like I never truly was, I couldn't be present. So you feel like you had sort of a death, you know, like what I hear from your mouth sounds very similar to phraseology that I say as a widow after losing my spouse, like almost like a death of your old life and you Mm -hmm. value your life in a whole different way because you, it's yours. I kind of feel like that's trauma though. Like I feel like after Mm -hmm. Sloan, I changed my view. Like I, like I said, every single day, I'm so grateful. Like I Mm -hmm. find gratitude in every single day. And I know it's, I don't know if it sounds bad, but it's like, because I know how bad it could be. Mm-hmm. Now that I've like well, come face, I'm not sure that all trauma necessarily, but I do yeah. think where death death threat is threatening yeah. your life, right? So like you know, Sloan obviously had some threatening yeah. conditions where yeah. he could have died, and obviously when you're in serious abuse, you're like, am I going to die, mm-hmm. or you know, what's going to happen to me? Yeah. Well, um, there was points where he was literally like, the only way you're getting out of this is if you die, and I fully believe him. Like, yeah, fully. That's- 
And now is it just, is it crazy to look back and and do you still process a lot of it? Like, or, like I know that I'm still processing a lot of my trauma. Is, does, do you get like PTSD kind of things, certain smells, certain places? Yeah. So I still like live in the house where a lot, um, to like the end of it when it was like the worst happened, um, again, with being peaceful now, I had bad PTSD for a while, like sure. would turn a corner in my house and like, think I seen him like PTSD, mm-hmm. like flashbacks of incidences, um, like that ha- of abuse that happened, like in my closet or by the washer and dryer, like would pop into my head constantly. I would dream about it. Mm-hmm. Um, my PTSD was so bad. I, this is going to sound terrible. I sleep with a gun next to my bed. Like I sleep with my, I don't think that sounds terrible. I sleep with like my car keys, like still to this day, like on my bedside table. So mm-hmm. like my kids sleep in the bed with me so that I know I can get out. Like I sleep with my bedroom door locked because if he would ever like break into my house, like I'd have another barrier. And I know that sounds so like now That's I think crazy. that there's like enough, I don't know, distance, whatever, but all of those things, it's like calculated things I still do to like feel safe. Um, I'll, I'll probably end up selling that house. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I was um, like, I think that's been revealed. That might be your yes. next. <laughs> well, it's the same for me. I had to, I sold my house super quick after my husband died and people were super judgmental about that. And I just, I had to get out of there. Like I could not relive the death oh, and repeat every time I was in that bedroom where he died in our bedroom. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I just can't. And so it's interesting though, but I, you know, people don't want to talk about this. They're like, oh, well, she's out and she's free, you know, and you are, you are all mm-hmm. those things and you are healing and you are peaceful, but like much like the love that you had and maybe still have for him had violence and love sitting right next to each other, trauma and healing has the trauma and the pain and all the scary sitting next to the peace and the pleasure. And I think I'm starting to think that our world shapes us to be like, where everything's amazing or it's shitty. And I'm like, no, it's all all at the same time, all the emotions all the time. And love can be multifaceted where it's, he's not all terrible. He did terrible, terrible things, mm-hmm. but everything isn't always, you know, one unifaceted. Well, one of the things you said earlier too, is that you started therapy before you left, right? Or did you say mm-hmm. you started therapy after you left? Mm-hmm. Were there any like tools that you got through therapy or anything. And I want to, the reason I want to bring up therapy is because I know therapy is so, we talked about it um, in our, our episode that's going to air next week is how hard it is sometimes to find the right therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaylin knows my journey with that. So Kaylin was actually really blessed, yeah. right? Like her first therapist, they hit it right off. Yeah. And she used Talkspace, right? Mm-hmm. Talkspace. So she's a positive story from Talkspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. I like first matched um and she was like my best friend like I felt like I was talking to my best friend um in like a non-judgmental space I didn't have to like lie or like sugarcoat and I love her (laughs) like I don't know what would have happened if I would have had the same experience as Jamie had so I just like I'm very, very thankful. And I don't know, I guess the universe knew that I really needed her in this. And, you know, how I said, like, I just had to accept 
because for so long I just like made excuses. Like she just like drilled into me, like you're allowing it. Like even now, like the co-parenting behavior, like things that were happening then, like you're allowing it. You're in control. He is not. You're in control. If you want something to stop, make the boundary. He doesn't have a say anymore. Like this is about you. And I think like, so in the beginning of my journey, it was just like him, 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 him. Was he's doing this, this, this. My therapist really helped me to look at me and focus on me and like what I needed, like building boundaries, like saying no, doing these things. And then like when I wouldn't do it, cause I'm very stubborn and hard headed. Um, still just like, you have to do it. Like you have to do it. You have to do it. Um, are there any books that you've read or anything like anything you could recommend for someone who maybe doesn't have a therapist that they feel strongly about? Um, Jamie's going to hate when I say I haven't read any books. I love that. That's okay. <laughs> I actually, I've sent her audio books. <laughs> you did listen to the untamed. Yes, I did. I did. I listened to untamed. She's right. Untamed is good. Um, Honestly, and this is going to sound so cheesy, but I know like a lot of younger women will connect with this. This is good. When I started like looking up things and like, cause you, you question your whole world. And I really was like, am I crazy? Like, am I actually crazy? I went to the doctor, got like a full evaluation. Like it, like I needed answers. Like, <laughs> um, but just looking up stuff on TikTok, and I know like people are going to be like, oh my God. But I really was, when there was people that was like explaining things and this and that, I was like, I'm not special. He's not special. Like this is abusive behavior. Like there's no excuse for it. And just like scrolling and like looking it up that way was an eye opener, honestly. And TikTok saved mm-hmm. your life. <laughs> Well, I really think that's so awesome. I mean, we're developing an app right now and for this reason. Like, mm-hmm. I think reading can be really hard. And especially if you have two small kids, like, I don't think when my kids were little, I love to read. And I I took a long break from reading until more recently. But I would say that, you know, yes, find people that you emulate on the internet. There's a lot of really positive trauma therapists out there who are putting things out. I love, I hope I'm not messing up his first name. I think it's Gabor, Gabor Mate. It's amazing, amazing, amazing trauma therapist who's talking about getting back in your body. Another book, if you want to, on audio or is um, Codependent No More, which I think is a really valuable book for people in this scenario when relationships get out of control and you're losing yourself in a relationship. And that can be abusive or it can be just feeling like you are living for someone outside of you. Um, I really needed that book for myself. I was in a similar vibe, so... So just a really, I mean, not a recap, well, kind of, um, for people who are listening, the modalities and tools that Kaylin used, I want to make sure we point them out, but talk space therapy, Mm -hmm. um, the gym and physical movement Mm -hmm. was a big one. Yeah. Um, I knew I needed endorphins very badly. (laughs) And that's so much research. State of mind, you know, like as exhausted as you were, you still did that portion. Well, so the movement thing will bring down, it's like the polyvagal theory, and it's really bringing down that fight or flight to bring you to to down regulate. So when you're up, 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 even though feeling like being physical might have been like so hard to get there, but I guarantee you had a hard time getting to the gym. But 
you got, you were releasing some of that. It's so powerful. Movement is, if that's all you can do, go walk, do something. If you're out there suffering, it's a big, a big thing. It's, I, we all I remember that you recently you said your self-talk. I think that's something yeah. that's big. I, know. Oh, I love it. Can you tell I us like what, what was your self-talk to yourself? Do you have it? Like, do you have some repeat repetitive phrases that you might say? I know it's kind of nerve wracking sometimes to say them out loud. Uh, <laughs> if, that feels, if that feels safe to you. Right. You're like, is this silly to talk to myself like this? <laughs> so it really started, honestly, again, with the gym, my gym, gym has a sauna. Um, you know, learning about all the good things of a sauna. So after the workout, I would go sit in the sauna. And again, I looked up just like, like self-love. I'm sorry, my eye itches. Self-love, <laughs> like, um, like phrases, like positive self-talk again on TikTok. And it was just like voices repeating. And there was stuff like, I'm, I am strong and things like that. Um, you know, about like positivity and light and like, when you feel like you're so stuck and you can't do like, how am I going to come out of this? And I was still wasn't even like, we weren't together anymore, but it was just like, I thought at the time I wanted my old self back before him. Now I love who I am and I would never want to go back to that person then because I feel like I'm more healed there, um, like I don't have the anger that I had even before him. Um, but I would just like on repeat, listen to those things. Um, there was, I mean, times where I texted Jamie and I was like, what are those things I say to myself? Oh yeah. Um, when I needed to hear it. And so I took like screenshots of stuff and I would sit in the sauna and I would just say it over and over, like basically brainwashing myself. And I do this to my kids like every day, like I love you. You're beautiful. You're handsome. You're smart. You're kind. Like, and it was just basically brainwashing myself to believe like I'm worth it. I'm like worth fighting for. I, you know, I can do this. Like I am okay on my own because like now where I'm at, I think I'm like ready to actually start dating again and have like feelings. Cause I was, <laughs> I was awesome. very shut down for a long time, very unemotionally available. Um, where I'm at now, I finally like let myself feel again. Um, so I feel like I'll be in a much healthier space for a healthier relationship. Um, yeah. And it's just that brainwashing of like, do no, you, I okay. So I struggle with this with my own self-talking because I think one of my deepest wounds is probably like, I never feel good enough. Mm-hmm. And so I get in, when I get into spaces that trigger me, it'll trigger lot, lots of my trauma. And so I have to like do the self-talking and tell myself like, you deserve this. You, you, you've worked hard enough. You're good enough. Whatever, whatever the repeat phrases mm-hmm. that might, I might use in that moment. And one of the things I talked to my therapist about is like, and I just want the listeners maybe to hear this. So loving yourself is a journey and it's a continual, as she, she said, it's a brainwashing, which I think is cute. <laughs> um, because she's right. Like, I don't still know that I fully believe that I am enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, and 10 years of therapy, I'm still like, and I take more measurements and steps to choose the boundaries that I need to become enough or to surround myself with people that make me feel enough. And that's like, that's been a big part of my healing. And I'm wondering, like, do you feel that you are like worthy and enough. And of course you are like, and of course I am right. Like, it's so stupid. Like when I say it out loud, you're lo- everyone's like, what, how could you not feel good enough? You know? But the truth is like, it's a journey to believe it on the inside. And do, do you feel like you've gotten there? Or do you still feel like you're working on that? 
I'm still working on it. Like, of course, I still have like some bad days. Um, but I think that I know it now. Like, so I have my weak moments, but I know it now. And again, like I brainwash myself all the time. Um, but seeing the way like my kids love me <laughs> and like how happy, like just like normal day life is now for me with them, that like validates me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I they- know. And that's like a spiral, right? Or like a, it's like a cyclical where you're like, you make good, right choices that are for you that you're kind of scared of. And then you believe that you're worthy of it. Sort of like you say that to yourself and then you watch the world around you feed it back to you. I mean, this is, um, what that book is like the secret. Maybe it's like whatever you put out into the universe is going to come right back to you. And I feel like until you see it with your eyes, it's sometimes hard to really know the power in that positive thinking and the, and the belief in yourself. And it takes time. It takes yeah. time and constant brainwashing, <laughs> positive brainwashing. We should write a book. Yeah. <laughs> Brainwash yourself. That's <laughs> amazing. Well, you know, and it's like, I try to tell my friends that are like going through things like the way that I spoke to myself, like when I was telling myself, like, you can't do this, like, you're never going to get out of it. You can't do this. Like, you're always going to be sad. Like, you're never going to be able to let go. This is always going to hurt you. Like, your PTSD is always going to be there. It kept me focused on that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the when I started changing the way that I spoke to myself, it even though I didn't feel it and I would, that's why I'm like, I was brainwashing myself. It started to pull me into the direction of living that way and feeling that way and saying like, this is disrupting my peace and I'm not doing it. Like I don't have to put up with this anymore. I'm not doing anything I don't want to do. And like, not a selfish way, but just like, I have the right to protect myself. Like I have a right to have these boundaries and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm worth it. And I, if I don't love me, no one's going to love me and take care of me. So like, it's my job. It's my responsibility to do that. So so powerful. I cannot wait to see the clip of that being on TikTok, helping other people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. Amazing. Cause it's so true. Like the way that we treat ourselves and love ourselves and Abuse goes into the brain to ourself. I was often say, that was body keep score in a summary right there. Oh, it totally her brain is. To, I mean, that was that totally yeah. embodied it. The body keeps know, score is also a book. We'll have everything in the notes. Yeah. Um, so amazing, Kaylin. Do you have anything that you want to close with? Maybe you want to say something to your kids, to your mom. Maybe you want to say something to people listening who may be in a similar vibe. What you just said might have been the best ender I've ever heard, but maybe you want to say just like one more thing or you feel good about just ending on positive self-love in the head. Um, I just want people to know that are like in it or like if you have someone going in it, like there is a way out. Like you can do it. Um, Even when you feel stuck and you feel trapped, like there is a way. And so I don't just – I don't know. Like you can do it. Like don't talk yourself out of it. Don't be scared because that uncomfortableness, the scaredness is going to take you to great places and you're going to be so much happier and lighter and more peaceful once you get through it.
Every storm has a rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) Is it bad that all I was thinking about is the RuPaul? If you can't love love yourself, then no. (laughs) How the hell are you going to love anybody else? You I know. love RuPaul. I love rainbows. Happy Pride Month. It's amazing. Yes. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Kaylin. This has been literally enlightening. Oh. And I think we will have her back on. So oh, yes. Yes. So we if will have her back on. is going through this, know somebody going through it, are you just interested and have questions, submit questions through the question box on Spotify, or you can DM us on Instagram at right. Wellness. So we'll be doing a dishing with Kaylin um, as we have with some of the previous guests and we'll let you talk and ask all the questions that you want to know. Keep it peaceful. This is a peaceful space. So thank you so much, Kaylin. Um, What a pleasure. And I've learned so much today. It was amazing. Really appreciate your story. You are such a survivor and a badass. Badass superhero. (laughs) Thank you. Part two. I can't wait to hear about your new dating life. Very amazing. Hopefully it'll be better than what I see with my other single friends. It can get a little scary out there. (laughs) This has been the Wake the F Up podcast with Alex and Jamie, a podcast about normalizing and overcoming challenges like grief and fear. Be sure to check out our other episodes where our community of experts share tools and ideas to help you wake to the life inside of you. If you enjoyed this episode of Wake the F Up, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And join the Wake community by downloading our app. Just search for Wake Wellness in the Apple or Android App Store. And follow us on Instagram, at The Wake Wellness. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickedstudio.com.